This podcast is intended to uplift, inspire, and in some cases, educate you on how to create a life that feels good. I am not a health professional, and the information and advice shared on this show should not be taken in replacement for any information or direction given to you by a healthcare professional. If you or someone you know is struggling with your health or mental well-being, please reach out to a healthcare professional in your area. For more information and resources on mental health support, please visit laurajaneillustrations.com forward slash mental health or see the link in the show notes. Hi there, I'm Laura, a teacher turned creator, and this is Fill Up Your Cup, the podcast with a mission to help you feel inspired, motivated, and empowered to show up for yourself and create a life that feels good. We're putting the personal back in personal development as we navigate this journey of self-awareness, self-compassion, and growth together. Because together, And with the right mindset, we are all capable of change and living a life that truly fills us up. and welcome to Philip Your Cup podcast. I am super excited to have you on the show today. I know you are well-versed in the world of life coaching and specifically the topic of limiting beliefs, which is something I am very interested in in my own personal development journey, and I'm sure our listeners will be as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to actually be here with you. So I appreciate it. Before we begin, I would love for you to introduce yourself, share a little about yourself and what you do with our listeners so they can get to know you. Sure. So I am Kamini Wood. I am a life coach, but I really actually say that I'm a human potential coach. And what that means is I spend my days working with people one-on-one, helping them understand themselves on a deeper level. So it's not about fixing or diagnosing or pathologizing. It's about creating that deeper understanding of what could be holding them back or what are those belief systems that are running the show, so to speak so that they can move themselves forward. And the truth is this was my own journey too. So I went through, you know, as a, as a professional, I was part of the dot-com industry and was very much into, um, I actually started off as a project manager, but found myself really liking and enjoying working with people and figuring out what they needed to move themselves forward. But then my own personal journey of recognizing where I was holding myself back as a people pleaser, as a perfectionist, really learning about myself and going through those experiences. I realized through the personal experiences and then also recognizing what I enjoyed from a professional standpoint that this was actually what I was meant to do. So this is what I have really driven myself and I dove into it headfirst, went through the certification, but then also went through a lot of specialty certifications in order to be able to really serve people as deeply as as possible and continue to go through different educational modalities. Like recently, I dove into somatic coaching in addition to the cognitive work that I've been doing, just because I feel as humans, we're we're complex. There are different ways to get at the information. Um, That's me professionally on a personal level. I'm the mom of five. My oldest is 22. She's a professional ballerina herself. Um, I have a almost 20 year old, a 17, 14 and nine year old or 10 year old, excuse me, at the time that we're recording this. 
So full life personally as well. And also the mom of two dogs. So. (laughs) Wow. I mean, your story is inspirational because when I was reading your story and prepping for the episode, it just really struck a personal chord with me, even though our career paths are very different. I can completely relate to that having been on one career trajectory and then having this gut feeling that you can't really put into words yet, but knowing there was something else. And mm-hmm. so I could really resonate with that side of your story. And and I love that you mentioned your kids because they are part of what led you to create your life that feels good and to do what you do now. Absolutely. They're uh, my best teachers. I will hold steadfast to that statement that my, my kids have been my best teachers, continue to be my best teachers. They were the mirror that allowed me to see that this people-pleasing tendency, the perfectionist tendency was something that I needed to, to learn about and understand so that I could move through it, not just for myself, but for them as well. I could communicate to them slightly differently to break some of that that pattern, that generational pattern. I love that. I love taking that ownership and and that self-awareness because I think many of us are very quick to point the finger at the previous generation for the habits we have, but it takes a lot to to recognize that your patterns are being mir- mirrored back to you and deciding that it's not too late to change that and to change yourself so that you can support those who look up to you, whether that's friends, family, or your own children. Absolutely. And to your point, we can make the decision that we want to change. I think oftentimes I hear people say, well, that's just how I am. And that's true to an extent. That's how you have chosen or you have, you've been operating, but you always have that ability to ask yourself, are these things working for me? Or do I, and am I committed to making a shift and change? It's so true that many of us do have that narrative of this is who I am. This is my personality. This is how I've always been. And therefore, this is how I always will be. And I think that's an excellent segue into the concept of limiting beliefs, which, as I already shared, is a topic I am fascinated with at the moment. I only recently stumbled on the term of limiting beliefs at the start of this year, end of last year, I was doing like a personal development workshop and someone mentioned this term limiting beliefs and briefly explained what it was. And it really just blew my mind that my own mind (laughs) can do that to me and that there's so much that exists in our subconscious. So for our listeners who have never, ever heard what of limiting beliefs, can you explain Mm -hmm. to us what they are? So I will use the term limiting beliefs, but I also refer to them as false beliefs. And really what they are, are they are beliefs about self that were either acquired through messages that we received at some point during our lives. Generally speaking, it's when we're younger or they are experiences and messages that we also, we had and we internalized them and made them mean something. And those are the beliefs, something about self. And those are the beliefs that then they're the false beliefs that hold us back. So common ones are, I'm not good enough. I'm a burden. That's a really big one for people pleasers. So they don't want to be a burden. So they tend to avoid being a burden. Um, I'm unworthy. I don't deserve, like I don't deserve love. I don't deserve success. Um, and I don't belong. Those are really big ones that we come up against. When we have those operating in the subconscious, Again, we're not aware, but they're kind of everything's being filtered through that. So if there's this limiting belief that I'm not good enough, then 
even every, if you just take the professional tracks, for instance, every time that you're coming up against a challenge, there might be that I'm not, not good enough. And so you might find yourself not attempting to do things that you're unfamiliar with and staying in that comfort zone instead of pushing and seeing what you could potentially accomplish if you stepped outside of that comfort zone. Um, the I'm not good enough shows up in relationships oftentimes where they don't feel good enough to be in that relationship. And so they find themselves either unable to find a partner and they blame it on there's something wrong with me because I'm not good enough to be in a relationship. And really, it's just that false belief about self that's running the show. And so they're actually shutting themselves down before truly they're engaging in dialogue or whatnot with other people. So when we're talking about those limiting beliefs, false beliefs, it's identifying what those beliefs are about self that are contributing to holding us back to and holding us back and not allowing us to move forward. And when we can break those down into what's actually true about us, that's when we can start taking committed action to moving forward. I think you gave a really good explanation of it there. I'm like <laughs> trying to absorb all of that <laughs> as it comes through. Um, and you gave some really good examples as well of common ways that it manifests, because I think something that is like the the double-edged sword to limiting beliefs is at least from from my point of view of, of beginning to work through my own this year, because it's subconscious, sometimes it's seeing my own actions in my patterns that have raised the red flag that there may be something there that is holding me back. So from your experience of working with so many people and helping them reach their potential, what are some of the the common ways that limiting beliefs show up in people's lives in the more conscious actions that they're taking? So uh, I was actually just talking to, so I work with teens all the way through adults. And I was actually just having a conversation with a mom about this very topic. Uh, one of the things that we find that it pops up is avoidance of moving forward or quitting things routinely. Like it starts to get hard and then they immediately quit. And it's not because they're a quitter. It's because there's a limiting belief around, can I do this really hard thing? I don't know that I'm good enough to do this. Then of course we have the fear of failure, which is another form of, well, if you die, if you unpack the fear of failure, it's okay. Why are we afraid to fail? Usually we come back down to, I'm not good enough. So sometimes the false belief is even, we have to get underneath what those, how those fears are showing up. But a lot of times we'll see people um, being paralyzed, meaning their analysis paralysis. I can't figure out the next step to move forward. Um, oftentimes I've seen individuals maybe avoid putting themselves up for a promotion because of the limiting beliefs. Um, in terms of relationships, I've seen it come up in dynamics with uh, romantic partners where they find themselves in toxic dynamics. Again, limiting beliefs are running the show there. Um, sometimes it's just in relationships with family where they're not showing up or being able to set boundaries because there is this belief that they they are, would be burdening the other person. You know, I can't put that on this other person. So they they don't have the boundaries. They don't stay what their needs are or what their wants or desires are because they want to make everything okay for the other person. Those are just different ways that I've seen them pop up. And oftentimes with those limiting beliefs, we have to, we look at things like where, where are you holding yourself back? But also boundaries become a really big part of it as well. Uh, because oftentimes the beliefs are uh, coming from either uh, experiences that you're having or relationships and 
dialogue that you're having with people. And so sometimes we also have to recognize who's feeding into those limiting beliefs and also put boundaries around that which can be very difficult. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, I, I always say on the podcast, I, I see myself as a, a people pleaser in recovery. And I think that that's something that you've shared as well that you relate to. And boundaries mm-hmm. is such a difficult one. And there is that limiting belief. And and it's something that I, I mean, I, I forget, but as you're saying it, I'm like, oh, I can so relate to this of knowing I need to express the boundary, knowing I need to set it, knowing that it's been overstepped. But fearing that my boundary is going to in some way be a burden on someone else or going to trigger emotion that then I will feel responsible for. And that's such a difficult like area to navigate. Absolutely. And, and, and you just named it, right? The false belief of I'll be a burden. It's just noticing that that's tied to then not setting the boundary with the person. And so that's just, it's a great way of describing what your question was even about. Well, how do we see this show up? We see it show up in our inability potentially to set boundaries and just state to somebody that's not okay. I think like the next, my next question would be, and I think the big question that I've had when doing work around limiting beliefs is, again, because it's a subconscious thing, if we're noticing ourselves feeling blocked. I mean, again, being a people pleaser in recovery, being someone who struggles with anxiety, holding Mm -hmm. me back from moving forward. I recognize the actions at times that are holding me back, but then it's how do I figure out what the subconscious limiting belief might be? So if it's something subconscious, how do we begin to get clarity on what that belief is and, and get to the root to it. So for when in order to to bring the subconscious to the conscious, right? So what really what we're saying here is we have to become aware of the thing that's holding us back. Because if we're not aware of it, we're going to continue operating with that. Everything's going to go through that filter. So when we're thinking about the ways that we can do that, we can't just suddenly say, oh, I totally get it. So instead it's noticing a pattern and saying like, for instance, let's take the boundary example. Um, I it's too hard. I can't set this boundary. I'm going to burden this person with my needs. Instead of just moving on from that, it's getting really curious with yourself, asking the questions, what's happening for me here? What's the story? What What am I telling myself? What What is this about being a burden? And, and really dive into that and get curious about that particular thing. Or for instance, when we have somebody who is quitting routinely, it's getting really curious. What is that experience about? Tell me what you're getting to experience when you quit. Because through that understanding of what you're actually experiencing, underneath it, we'll be able to find what that limiting belief is. And that's why a lot of times we need support going through this because when we're so close to it, it's difficult sometimes to see it, but you can do it. You can just slow it down and get really compassionately curious with yourself. What is this about? Why? What is the story here about you know, the fact that I feel like I need to quit this. Oh, it's because I'm actually afraid of failing. Okay. What's, what's that about? What's this thing about failing? Oh, it's because I don't think that I'll be good enough or conversely, I'll be a disappointment. Okay. Now that I'm aware that I'll be a disappointment, we can now challenge it. What's actually true about myself, about myself today in today's not 
10 years ago, not worrying about the future, but here, mindfully practicing the present moment awareness, what's actually true about me now, and also what is meaningful for me, right? Going back to your core values, what's meaningful for me so then you can figure out what committed action you're going to take. Because sometimes in order to move through those limiting beliefs, we also have to start taking those committed actions that are values-based. Because as we do that, we're intrinsically building our own awareness of who we actually are. We can start answering that question of, well, no, what's actually true about me is I take these committed actions and I'm able to do these small committed actions. And we're going to re-self-affirm every time we do that. And it moves us past what was holding us back. Amazing. I think the next thing that kind of comes to mind for me is as I'm thinking about that process and trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who's maybe newer to it or less comfortable with it, or even taking myself back to when I started practicing more self-awareness is in the beginning, there's a very thin line between self-awareness and and dangerously leaning into self-criticism. So do you have any advice on how we can navigate into that space of looking at what our subconscious beliefs are, especially if they are negative ones? How do we navigate not letting that further become an embedded, unhelpful narrative and instead look at it from a place of self-compassion? That is such a great point. And you're absolutely right that when we start doing that work, there's a, there is the chance that we will lean into self-criticism versus just compassionate curiosity. And so it's, it is, it's actually utilizing self-compassion. It's utilizing how can I get curious with myself in a very non-judgmental way? How can I, and even what, what I have often said to people is step into third person, talk to yourself like you would a loving, you know, like a loved one or a friend, give yourself that same distance where you actually start talking to yourself in that third person where you're like, okay, you know, so for me, it'd be okay, comedy. So what's going on here? What's happening for you? And almost have that dialogue with yourself, but from the distance, because it's easier. We know this, it's easier to practice compassion with others, sometimes not so much with ourselves. It gives us that through way to start practicing kindness over judgment and and rec- and and then also being really slow with it, meaning pay attention to how you're talking to yourself. Is this is this self-critical or is this from a curiosity standpoint? And then if you're noticing the self-critical voice come out, pause again. What's happening with this here? Oh, wow, I'm being judgy. Okay, that's not very helpful for me right now. What do I actually need? What I need is to understand what's going on for me. And so then you can reset in that moment. What practical kind of tips would you give to someone who wants to start exploring this? I mean, I know for me personally, journaling is a space that's worked really well for me because of that, I guess, being able to create a boundary with myself when I notice myself going into self-critical thinking, I can step back from my journal and almost separate myself from it so that I'm not becoming absorbed by the unhelpful narrative. Mm -hmm. But what are some practical ways that you would recommend to help us start developing that self-awareness and picking apart our patterns? So yes, I absolutely concur. Journaling is huge. I think putting pen to paper and just having that output channel is so helpful because sometimes we're so caught in our own thoughts, we don't even realize that we're having certain thoughts. And so Mm -hmm. we put them down on paper, we actually can be our own witness. On a a tangent to that would be um, even utilizing voice memos where we're talking things out and then we can go back and listen to it. Again, with our own ears, we're hearing what we're thinking. And so we become our own witness. But beyond that, I, I always encourage people 
um, to really come back to come home to themselves. And what I mean by that is start paying attention to just feelings as they pop up during the course of the day, really learning to how learning how to name what you're feeling, what, because with our emotions come a lot of information. I really believe that there are no good emotions or bad emotions. They are just data. They're just data packets giving us information on what we need. So if we can pay attention to how we're feeling and what those emotions are, and then ask ourselves the very next question, which is, okay, so what do you need? In that in that little internal dialogue will be an open door for where you can walk through and start saying, oh, that's the thought. You know, there's the limiting belief because a lot of times, you know, we'll say with a thought comes a feeling, but a lot of times a feeling will pop up first. And so if we can start to become aware of our feelings more readily, and let's be honest, in today's world, it's fast paced. So more, most often people have the belief that it's like, I don't have time for my feelings right now. I've just got to keep going, keep going, keep going. It's actually, can we switch it and turn it on its head and say, let me pause and understand what I'm feeling so that I can actually keep going. That's such a powerful thing. That's so, so powerful. It's so similar to what I say about self-care. When people are like, I don't have time for self-care. I'm always like, when you make the time for self-care, you are going to be able to show up for everything else that you want to and need to do because you are feeling more fulfilled and because you've made that time to look after yourself. And it's so true for our feelings as well, because they don't go away. We push them down. We bottle them up. They will come out eventually, yes. probably in a moment yes. that you don't want them to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I usually say you're going to push them down and suppress them until they become a volcanic explosion. So you might as well deal with them. <laughs> exactly. But, but if we can actually get to this place of just, I mean, it's, it's the human experience, right? We're pushing away part of the human experience every time that we're suppressing these emotions. But instead, what if we just walk Welcome them in and say, okay, tell me what I need to know. Clearly, I'm feeling something. So what's that? Give me the opportunity to understand myself better. When I understand myself better, I can choose how I want to move forward. Yeah, I, I love that you brought up emotions because I think that, again, something that I've experienced in figuring out my own limiting beliefs is it does really link to emotion and also resistance around emotion in itself can come back to a limiting belief. Like, why is it that we label some emotions good and some bad? Because we've learned that from somewhere and being able to work it backwards. I mean, for me, like anger was a big one and my partner is really good at expressing his anger. And he will often say to me, like, it's okay to be angry, like let it out. And, and that was a big block for me of feeling like I couldn't be outwardly angry and working it back to realize I thought I couldn't be outwardly angry because that would be not what a good girl does. Right. I'm bad. I'm exactly. Bad. Yeah. And that was yes. just something yes. that I had ingrained in my mind since I was a kid. You know, good girls are mm -hmm. quiet and play mm -hmm. and anger is mm -hmm. not that. And so there's so much like liberation that has come with just letting my anger be because it also shows me so much of what I do or don't want. And it often helps me set boundaries. A hundred percent that, that your spot. Uh, yeah. And I think that's a big one too. And I didn't name that false belief, but the I'm bad. And it really does come with the anger is a big one where I hear that often where it's anger. If I feel angry, then I'm bad. I'm bad and I'm mean. And there's like, there's something wrong with me. And really the anger to your point is just, it's just communicating that there's a need or a value that's not being met here. And what is that? And can I communicate it? I often will say to the people that I work with is, you know, really encouraging them to embrace the concept that all feelings are valid, just not all behaviors, 
right? So we can feel angry, but the behavior of raging isn't necessarily the way we should go, right? But the Mm -hmm. feeling itself, it's present. It's present. So what's it telling you? Yeah, I mean, my background is in early education. And so I've had that conversation with young kids, but I've also had that conversation with parents where it's trying to help them understand. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with your child feeling a feeling. It's just helping them navigate what's a healthy way to express this so that they don't bottle it up. And I think for so many of us after 2020, that was something that we really had to learn to deal with was the fact that because we dealt with this massive change, we had these huge emotions bubbling up and spewing out of us and also just dealing with the where has this come from and why am I not able to cope? And it yeah. it does stem from that, like naming your feelings, understanding them, looking at them with self-compassion um, so that you can ask for what you need or express what you need and, and create boundaries for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, 2020 turned lots of things on, on its head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think like one of the good things that did come from that was a lot of people realizing that the way they were living their lives wasn't going to be long-term long-term sustainable like sustainable. It, we mm-hmm. were in a burnout system we were mm-hmm. in a hustle culture and i think that that forced so many of us to slow down and go wait is this how i actually want to live my life or can i create something for myself that feels better and still allows me to you know live the lifestyle that i've created for myself yeah and isn't it interesting you know that became that all you know, we were forced into becoming aware of those things, but awareness allowed for those changes to happen. Right. And that's what we've been talking about today is becoming aware, but building this pathway, right. It's the doorway and, you know, awareness is that doorway to change. Once you're aware, now you get to choose how you want to move forward. And so for some people, I think that 2020 awareness was, okay, this is how I want to move forward. And then I've definitely seen people who have you know, maybe falling back into old patterns because they didn't actually, it was like they became aware of it, but then they weren't really committed to making Mm -hmm. that shift. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just understanding that maybe their limiting beliefs or their patterns were very, very well ingrained. And so the choice was, I'm going to stay with what I know. And, you know, that's really the key thing. And I talk about this a lot in my work too, is there's never anything, we're not faulting people. This work isn't about faulting people or trying to change personalities. Like, for instance, I am, my personality is people pleasing. That is part of my personality trait. I, and it's not going to ever go away fully. What I'm able to do now, though, is recognize when I'm leaning too far into it. And it's Mm -hmm. now becoming a weakness for me or something that's not serving me versus I, I do believe that I lean on that people pleasing part of my personality, that spark in my personality that allows me to really listen with an empathetic ear and really be with the people that I'm talking to. So there is also recognizing that when we're talking about like limiting beliefs, for instance, we're not saying we want to change you as a person. We're just trying to figure out, and it's about this invitation to figure out where those small belief systems are potentially hanging out in your subconscious. And the invitation is become aware and then make that choice for yourself of, you know, is this is this serving me or is this holding me back? And if the answer is it's holding me back, okay, how do I want to move myself forward? What action do I want to take to move myself forward? I loved that question about does it serve you? Does it not? 
linking back to journaling, being a really powerful tool for self-awareness and, and obviously coaching as well is an, in, an incredible tool for those who can access it. But for our listeners who maybe that's not within their reach right now, or who are just curious about maybe doing some self-exploration around self-awareness first, what would be your... Th- three top questions that you would encourage someone to ask themselves to start tapping into that self-awareness? I always say, uh, starting with your core values. So asking yourself, what, what are those top five to six things that are most meaningful to me? And really take your time with it. I am a firm believer in you don't just go look at a list and pick the words. Because honestly, if you're anything like me, you're going to be like, that mate, yeah, that one, that one, that one. And before you're done, you've actually highlighted 30 of the things that are on the list. <laughs> and you're like, That's a lot. So asking yourself questions like, you know, when have I felt the most joy in my life and joy, not happiness. Happiness is an emotional state as well. So when have I actually felt connected to myself, felt that joy, felt that fulfillment, and then give yourself permission to also look at when have I maybe felt a little sad or a little bit of like some regret or even grief for that matter, because on the flip side of those moments will be what was meaningful or what is meaningful for you. Because those emotions, again, just giving us information. And when you can do those two things, those polar, you know, kind of looking at the polars, the polar opposites there, it allows you to then step back and to say, okay, so out of these things, out of these experiences, what were the the, the things that were most meaningful? And that will get you closer to what those core values are, core values as of today, right? And it's important to recognize that as we grow and evolve, our values might shift and change. And giving yourself grace to do that is perfectly Perfectly fine and welcome. But really starting with that, what are the things that are most meaningful for me? The second question that I always challenge people to ask are, what are those needs that you have? As your own individual person, what are your needs? And this goes beyond the needs of, I would need a roof over my head and food on the table, which of course, absolutely general needs. But beyond that, what is it that you're needing? What is it that you're needing maybe in your professional environment or in your personal environment and really get clear on those as well? Those two things are then going to offset and be able to work through the beliefs because that's the third pillar of self-awareness is understanding what your core beliefs about self are. And so usually if you want to get started on your own, that would be a great place to start that process. You mentioned core values. And again, I feel like that's a term that gets used a lot in the personal development space without a lot of understanding really behind to what it is and and why it's important. So maybe you could shed a little bit more light on that for us. What are core values and, and why is it important to have that awareness around your core values? So my perspective, the comedy perspective on core values are what are the things that are most meaningful for you at this juncture in your life that make you tick, like that make you, that are are needed in order for you to really feel that you're accessing your true essence and your true being, right? And the reason why it's so important is because when we are maybe full of anxiety and we're having those moments of panic and we we feel completely ungrounded, there those core values, those things that we've identified that are most meaningful to us can be that grounding zone, that ground zero where we can come back to and say, okay, if I if I lean into my core value of fill in the blank, what is one small thing that I could do right now for myself, which gets us out of the spin cycle or the rabbit hole of anxiety, for instance. And so like for me personally, right now in my juncture of life, one of my core values is motherhood right now. To be honest, I probably, it's probably going to be a core value of mine. Till I 
am no longer here, but <laughs> that wasn't my core value when I was, you know, 20 years mm-hmm. old. So it, that's how I mean that they're going to change. But when I say that that's a core value of mine in moments where I am completely spun out, sometimes my grounding is how can I connect with my children right now? Because that's actually going to make me feel joy and fulfillment. And that's actually going to be the most meaningful that I can do, meaningful thing that I can do in this moment right here. And it brings me back into the present moment. So that's why I say when a lot of people will talk about core values and they'll give you this long list and it's like, come up with your core values, which is, I'm not saying that it's it doesn't work, but from my experience, it's asking those other questions of when have I felt fulfilled or when have I maybe felt sad. Why? Because that gives you more of an indication of what makes you tick, what makes you feel more complete. Um, And when you're able to do that, then you're able to, like I said, use them as a grounding tool to say, okay, how do I want to move forward? I love that you pointed out like that list of like 30 things. I've done so many of those like quizzes and it's like, well, everything on this list is valuable to me. (laughs) (laughs) How do I narrow it down? I think, but then the, I think the flip side to that is also like when you start to reflect on what is valuable to me, there is that temptation to lean in and, and list it. So what would you recommend if, if someone really wants to get clearer on their core values, what, what, I know we can't put a number on it because we're all different, but what number of core values should we be aiming on to to have more clarity around, to have focus on that we can use them as tools in our personal development or as tools when we are feeling overwhelmed? Yeah, I don't think there's the right answer for the number. For me, I generally say between five and six, because I think when we get larger than that, sometimes our brain goes on overload. And so... You know, and it is, it challenges us to sit. Maybe we do ask those questions and we sit with the list to come up with ideas and we end up with 20. And then we're like, okay, now we let's narrow that down to the top, the top 10. And now let's narrow it down a little bit more. But what that exercise does is actually pushes you to figure out what it is that you truly value versus, oh yeah, yeah, you know, that that's important to me, which we're not discounting. Things can be important to us, but what's the most meaningful to you right now is really the question that we're asking. I, I did an exercise like that recently. And, and that was the part, like you say, that pushed me when I was down to like 20 and I'm like, all of these things are important to me, but it was leaning into like, which ones were the ones that really tugged at my heart that when I moved them off the table, cause I am very visual. So like I had them written down, yeah. like when I yeah. move certain ones off the table, it almost physically hurts to not have that included yes. in the top number versus other ones where I'm still like, like it's still important to me, but it, it doesn't tug at the heartstrings as much to see it moved off the table. And I love that you just said that because that's that whole somatic side of things too. Sometimes we can't just do this cognitively. We actually have to pay attention to what's the body's reaction to this. You know, so if something is you're about to remove it from your list and there's like, you know, maybe a a feeling in the pit of your stomach or you are feeling that pull on your heart, that's an indication your body is holding that intelligence. Say, no, 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 that actually is something we really do value and is meaningful to us. And so there is that balance too of bringing in that, the body's intelligence, how is it reacting? And I often say that when doing work like core values or core needs, it's pay attention to how your body feels about certain things as you're as you're working through them because there is so much intelligence in how we react to things. Our body knows. And so if there's this feeling of, no, I need that. Like for me, again, another one is just emotional safety. I can't, I, there's just, if that somebody were not to take that away, that's just something that I need in order to, to be able to feel secure and safe. So it's interesting, right? Because safety and security are important to me. 
but really the true value is emotional safety just for me personally. So that's another way to look at it as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because even as you're saying that, I can think of like, again, relating that back to the limiting beliefs because the actions or the moments where our limiting beliefs are kicking in it can sometimes have that like physical response as well. And that can be a really good indicator for those of us who are working on developing that self-awareness of, ah, oh, there's something here that's holding me back. There's a limiting belief. Again, leaning into the physical feeling of why is it that I almost feel paralyzed trying to do this? Or why is it I feel that gut, you know, butterflies in my stomach? Or mm-hmm. why is it that something I was excited about suddenly makes me so physically nervous? Um, and it can be linked back to there is something in our subconscious mind that is that is kicking in. Absolutely. Absolutely. That comes up so often. People will maybe share with me that they're feeling knots. They're feeling knots in the pit of their stomach, for instance. And then if you go into that and you say, okay, so if the knots could talk, what would they say? Now we're giving that voice. And then suddenly that information tells us where we're, we're holding ourselves back. I love that. That is such a, a good journaling prompt. If the knots could talk, what would they say? I think that's a really good way of as well, like stepping outside of your experience and, and looking at it almost from a different point of view. Like what what part of yeah. you is, is talking here? Is it like your inner child? Is Are they nervous about something? What was the past yep. experience that led to these thoughts getting themselves yes. so tangled yes. up? Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and that's why I can totally concur with you that journaling is so powerful because it does give us that output channel. It's It's the one I come back to again and again. I think it's just like that safe space that you get to create with yourself. And I like for me personally, at least it's allowed me to develop a really loving relationship with myself where when I'm struggling or I'm being self-critical, I can really show up and, and be my own friend or step out of the emotion and go, okay, what advice would I give someone else if they were going through this? Or if someone I really cared about was struggling with this, how would I show up for them? And, and learning to be able to give that to myself, journaling has Mm -hmm. unlocked that for me. And for those that say that journaling doesn't work there, you know, it's not to say that all lost, uh, all hope is lost. Like I said, people utilize voice memos. I definitely have clients who have said, I can't, I can't sit down and write. And that's totally fine. Talk to yourself, talk to yourself, witness yourself. I love that. Let's, I mean, let's normalize that as well, because I mean, it's like what you said, when the thoughts are up there in your head, it's really difficult to make sense of them. There are so many different parts of us that are coming into play and doing that mm-hmm. voice memo, sitting with yourself and having a talk with yourself. It is a way to a clear mind, not as it is often stigmatized as being something that is like you right. are unraveling. <laughs> right. There is something wrong with you. <laughs> you are talking to yourself. No, yeah, I actually am. <laughs> Um, You've shared so much valuable information with us today, and I'm so grateful for you bringing your knowledge and expertise to this topic. And I always love to summarize these conversations with something practical that listeners can take away. I say that I like to balance inspiration with implementation on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So for the listener who is struggling or is maybe beginning to recognize that they have limiting beliefs, what would you recommend to them as the best next steps or the best small steps that they can take to start working through this compassionately to kind of summarize everything we've talked about today? 
short of spending some time with those self-awareness steps in terms of just core values and, and core needs, I would suggest that when individuals are feeling themselves, you know, they feel stuck, stagnant, whatever, however it's showing up, instead of getting critical with themselves of here I go again, I'm not moving forward, whatever the inner critic wants to say, when that inner critic starts speaking to you, take a breath and actually ask the question, you know, what's happening for me here? Give yourself permission to get curious with what's underneath rather than simply allowing the inner critic to run the show. I love that. I like curiosity over criticism. That's going to be my mm-hmm. new my new mm-hmm. personal mantra, especially as a people pleaser. We we learn we lean into that <laughs> criticism a lot quicker than we do anything else. Oh my gosh, do we ever? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been an absolute joy comedy and I always like to finish my interviews by asking my guests the same question because this is Fill Up Your Cup podcast and we are all about creating a life that feels good. And we know that we can't do that if we are pouring from an empty cup. So how do you look after your well-being and how do you keep your cup topped up at the moment? That's such a great question. Uh, I actually take every morning before my whole zoo wakes up. It's me time. I use that time either to just sit and drink coffee, but more often than not, there's meditation involved and just sitting quietly with myself. Uh, And I utilize that every single morning. Um, Very rarely do I take that time off because that for me is the way that I fill my cup up is just to be in the moment, especially as a, you know, a people pleaser, but also I own own it. I'm a high achiever. I push myself routinely. And so it brings me back to the present moment because so much of your day can get, get away from you where you're thinking about the next thing. And Mm -hmm. so that's really important to me. I love that. And I think that's really great advice for parents, for high achievers, for those who have responsibility to other. That is something that comes up a lot when I talk about self-care is this feeling of guilt when you have responsibility Mm -hmm. towards other. Taking that time, even if it's five, 10 minutes before your responsibilities to others start to be with yourself is so powerful and and it allows you to, to be a better person for others as well. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Where can our listeners find you on the internet and in the cyberspace? And (laughs) do you have any offerings or anything that you would like to direct their attention to if they want to find out more about what you do or to work with you? Yeah. So I am definitely on the internet. They can find me at commonywood.com. And actually, if they had, if your listeners head over there, they can download a free ebook on limiting beliefs, as a matter of fact. Um, I love and that. Of course, they can learn all about coaching with me. That is, is something that they're interested in. And then, of course, I am on social media, Instagram and Facebook with the handle It's Authentic Me. Amazing. I will put the links to your socials and the website and that free guide on limiting beliefs in the show notes. So people can go ahead and download that and start working on that self self-awareness journey. Amazing. And thank you again for having me. Thank you for being with us. This was an absolute joy. And I feel so refreshed and re-energized after this conversation and excited to do my daily journaling to, to ask myself some of those incredible questions that you shared with us today. So thank you so much. If you made it to the end of this episode, I hope that you feel a little less alone in your personal development journey and a little more inspired to do something today to show up for yourself. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe 
and leave a review on your favorite podcast streaming app or platform. And if you want even more weekly inspiration, then head on over to Instagram or Facebook and follow the show as at fillupyourcuppod. Remember, you can't pour from an empty cup. So do one small thing today to pour into yours and start creating a life that feels good for you.